Welcome to the Nature Reliance Podcast, where we explore the history and practical experience of the great outdoors and discover new ways to connect with nature. I'm Craig Cottle, your guide through the fascinating world of natural living and survival skills through experiential education and interviews. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nature Reliance School Online Membership, an immersive online learning experience designed for outdoor enthusiasts just like you. Are you passionate about the outdoors? Do you crave more knowledge about disaster readiness, wilderness survival, bushcraft, tracking, and nature awareness? If so, the Nature Reliance School online membership is your gateway to a community of like-minded individuals, all dedicated to learning and sharing essential outdoor skills. With the Nature Reliance School online membership, you get exclusive access to a wealth of resources, including expert-led tutorials, interactive webinars, and a library of engaging courses, downloadable books, and documents. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced outdoorsman, there's always something new to learn. So don't wait. Click on the link below to join the Nature Reliance School online membership today. Embrace the wilderness, enhance your skills, and become part of a community that values nature as much as you do. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hey there, and welcome in to another Nature Reliance Media Podcast. Got a big favor to ask of you. We can't do what we're doing here at the Nature Reliance Media Podcast without you sharing what it is that we do. So find one of these podcasts, maybe it'll be this one, that you think is fantastic. Share it with somebody. Send it in a text. Send it on Facebook, Instagram, anywhere that you feel comfortable sharing the podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Let's get into this episode of Nature Reliance Media. So the topic of conversation today, you all, is going to be tracking. I love tracking. Anybody that knows anything about Craig Cottle knows that I love tracking. I try to spend some time every day literally tracking. Now somebody will say, well, Craig, you don't, there's no way. You, you can't get out and track every day. Well, that's true. I can't literally get out on a track line every day. That would be pretty tough. But I do something every day to track, whether it is actually tracking, like we mentioned before, or I read about tracking, or I watch how people walk, or I watch videos on YouTube about how animals walk, sign recognition, and on and on and on. I love it, and I've committed myself to doing it as much as possible. One of the things that often gets stated about tracking is this, is that it is an art. Well, I disagree with that. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I believe it's a science. And many of the instructors that I've trained with and my mentors in the field of tracking would agree with me on that. And maybe that's why I feel the way I do, but quite frankly, I feel pretty strongly that I felt that way before they even encouraged me that I was right. And these are men that I respect, men that have taught me, that have taught many others that have done a fantastic job of tracking. What I wanted to do in this particular podcast was break down some of the fundamentals of tracking. Maybe some things you'd not thought of before. And my hopes are that you can start to apply tracking to what it is that you do. It doesn't matter if you're a hunter or you're a trapper. You could just be somebody that likes the outdoors. 
knowing how to recognize tracks, sign, both ground sign, aerial sign. If you don't know what that is, we'll talk about that in a few moments. Applying those to whenever you go into the outdoors is going to simply do nothing more than enhance your experience out there. One of the things that happens is that there's a lot of misconceptions put out about tracking because of TV. I mean, you think about some of the guys that have been on TV shows or movies and Hollywood and have you that were the tracker, and they're usually the dude that's just a little bit off in the head, or they probably have a skill that everybody in the movie or the TV show is going, what is up with this guy? And I think that that has a great deal to do with why we have this misconceived idea that it's an art. And no doubt, there's been some unscrupulous characters in the fields of tracking that have led people astray as well and told them it's an art and told them that only they have certain skills or done things in front of students to, quote-unquote, I say this sarcastically, prove that they are a tracker incomparable to anyone else in the world. It's unfortunate. Personally, I think anybody can become a tracker. And we've talked about this a few times amongst ourselves, Tracy and I, as well as students in class. Are you a tracker? Yeah, because I track. It doesn't mean I'm good at it. That doesn't mean I'm great. That doesn't mean I'm the best in the world or the worst in the world. But it, if I'm tracking, I'm a tracker. So that's my opinion. Some people don't agree with me on that, but that's my opinion. So if you'd like to track and you've never been tracking before and you go out for the first time, and you start to track an animal, well, at that point, you are a tracker. What I want to do is share some of the science behind what it is that we can do while we're tracking to make what you're doing out there just a tad bit more efficient, probably more fun, pretty confident it'll be more fun, and definitely going to get you more track seen farther down the track line and a lot of other things to improve what it is that you do as you track. The first thing that we need to do is understand, let's say, for our sake of discussion here today, we're going to talk about tracking for wild animals, okay, for hunting, for trapping. And when I say hunting, not necessarily just to hunt and kill and eat, but to maybe you hunt animals because you want to take good photographs of them. Maybe you hunt animals because you just want to watch them. You enjoy watching them. Tracking is going to be an incredibly useful and almost necessary skill set to be able to do that effectively. But one of the first things we need to do is understand tracking from a large overview. Think about a, a drone shot or an aerial shot above a forest or above a field or above an area that you want to track in. And here's some questions that I think you should be asking yourself. Number one, how does the land lay here? Are there places where, for example, shelter, water, and food converge? All animals, you and those wild animals out there, need those things. So that is always a very good starting point to try to find tracks, is where shelter, water, and, converge, shelter, water, and food converge. Another one is, are there locations where different habitats come together? For example, is there an open field that's surrounded by trees? Where that open field meets the trees is a fantastic way of being able to find sign. Find that first set of tracks that get you on a track line. Let me explain what I mean. 
let's say, for example, that there are a hundred species of herbaceous or woody stem plants in a wooded area. Let's say that there's a hundred different species of those plants in the open meadow because an open meadow or an open field gets a lot more sunlight than a forest, and so there's going to be different herbaceous plants in the open field than what you'll find in the forest. Therefore, there's going to be different species of animals in the field versus different species that are in the woods primarily. But it's where these two habitats intersect where you're basically having the opportunity to see 200 different species of animals, let's say, for example. Okay? Because there's 100 in the field, there's 100 in the forest. So you have a higher percentage opportunity to find animals where habitats come together, like a forest into a field, maybe even a hardwood forest into a pine forest in deep in the woods. You, if there's a pocket of white oaks even in the midst of a whole bunch of pines, that's two totally different, I mean it's not, but but I think you understand what I'm saying. You can get to where you start to see different habitats, different types of ecology, different types of woody stem or herbaceous plants that will guide and direct animals because think of it as an oasis out there if there's a stand of white oaks 20 white oaks in the middle of a pine forest you can almost be guaranteed wildlife is going to be there next is again this is we're looking at this as a big overview consider where there's natural areas where you would find tracks easily and what i mean by that is where tracks if an animal walks through an area tracks are easy to find in that area Creek banks is a great example. Is there an area where there's a large puddle? Is there an area where there's a natural funnel where animals have to go through a different or section or part of the woods or forest or fields or what have you in between the rocks? Because they have to go there, there's a lot of displaced soil and tracks are easy to find there. So those three things right there are the First thing I would consider if you're new to tracking and, hey, these are some things that I would be looking for. These are some things that I need to consider before I ever go to the field and start to consider where it is I'm going to track. Once we find a track or some tracks that we want to follow, we then want to apply science to our methodology on how we want to go about following them. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey guys and gals, a quick break in our episode to talk about a game changer in outdoor cooking, the Fire Maple Backpacking and Camping Stove System. Whether you're hiking, fishing, or even prepping for emergencies, this portable pot and jet burner is a must-have in your gear. Best part? It's nearly half the price of a comparable jet boil stove system. Thanks to its leading heat exchange technology, you'll experience reduced boiling times by up to 30% compared to traditional stoves, even in windy conditions. That means more time enjoying the outdoors and less time cooking. Are you ready to upgrade your outdoor cooking game? Click the link in the description now to grab yours. Trust me, your outdoor adventures will never be the same. It's a very systematic thing. The last thing that we want to do is find a set of tracks and then start basically wandering back and forth in an area trying to find the next track. What happens is what trackers refer to as we contaminate the site, 
meaning if we're walking in an area back and forth searching for the next track, then our footfalls themselves are creating more tracks, more disturbance in the ground and on the ground and in the air. And therefore, it's going to be more difficult to find tracks because we've more than likely stepped on them, kicked other, let's say, leaf litter or forest floor litter onto a track and make it more difficult. One of the first things that we like to do is what one of my mentors, Cornelius Nash, he is a great tracking instructor, by the way, and just one of the finest men that I've ever had the uh, wonderful opportunity to train with. He called it the golden rule, which is sun, track, you. The reason we talk about this as trackers is because when we see a track, and let's talk about a track that is on the ground, in the dirt, in the soil, in clay, wherever you find it, and you can actually see this solid track. You are not actually seeing the track as much as you are seeing the shadows that are cast inside that track. That seems a little bit out there philosophically. I remember having this discussion in eighth grade with my science teachers, one of the first times I ever had to think outside of the box on how, how and what it is that I saw with people. And my eighth grade instructor, eighth grade instructor, challenged us that we don't actually see people we actually see the sun cast on people or we see light cast on people and somebody's like no i see you and he's like okay let's turn the lights off and he actually turned the lights off and it was dark in the room and nobody could see anybody he said so can you see anybody no you can't see anybody and so he was right i mean we're we're seeing people because light is cast upon them there so there's a philosophical discussion there so definitely you will see tracks because light is cast on it, but also what makes details jump out is shadows cast inside that track. We use the sun track you. That's why we always place ourselves there because we'll see more shadows that way. Therefore, the best way to see a track is in the early morning sun or right before the sun goes down at night. That's why you'll see on my woods walk videos. And if you're not on our YouTube channel, you need to go there and subscribe too because I do Woods Walks videos at least twice a week, sometimes more than that, where I just walk 15, 30 minutes and talk about what's going on in the woods and and lots of other stuff. But the, one of the reasons you see me a lot in the morning is doing that is because I am out tracking early in the morning as the sun's coming up because it's a fantastic time to see tracks. Now, obviously, if you carry a flashlight, which I do, you can force that to happen too. You can bring the flashlight down and cast it on the sides of the uh, track itself. And in that manner, you'll be able to see more of the sign, particularly the details that are inside the track itself. As far as moving on the track, one of the things that we need to, again, do is make sure we don't contaminate the area. So what we'll do, there's a method to this, is that when you find a track, that's what we call last known. Okay, last known spore, last known sign, last known track. It's any number of things depending upon which school of thought that you're involved in. But the last piece of sign that you're aware of is vital to you continuing your tracking. And the reason I say that is because you've got to be able to follow that up. You've got to be able to make that happen. The reason you can make it happen is because you know that last known and you can move on it because that is your point of reference. Again, wandering is just, there's so much information that you can see, but if you start at the last known, then you can start to break down the distance between where the footfall should happen 
if you get a direction travel, which we're going to talk about next, then you you know a direction. You don't have to look 360 degrees around that last known and all over the woods. You just know that this is the last known right here. The direction travel is somewhere in that direction, and that breaks down the area that you're looking and makes it much easier for you to be able to see the next sign. As I mentioned, the next thing that we're going to do is do our best to have a good sense of the direction of travel for the animal that we are tracking. The best way to do this is to study with someone. And what I mean is get out in the woods with someone that has tracked for a while and they can show you that, let's say for an example, that a dog's track looks like this and this is what the front of the track looks like, this is what the back of the track looks like. Same for a raccoon, same for a deer, same for a squirrel, same for a rabbit on, on, and on. By doing that, you can start to see easily where animals are going to be going and what direction they're going to be traveling, just because you know how their feet fall. That includes both the track itself, the individual track, as well as the gait pattern, how they walk. For example, we have walkers and trotters. That's kind of a group that goes in together. They walk a certain way. You have Hoppers, which are like a rabbit, maybe even a squirrel, they will jump, basically, if you will. Their front feet will hit, and then their back feet will come forward of their front feet as they propel themselves forward. You have bounders, which are front feet hit first, and then back feet hit right behind. That's something like a mink or something of that nature. Um, Raccoons walk similarly to this. And then you have waddlers, which is similar to a bear. Uh, You oftentimes will also have what happens in what we call as direct register where the back foot comes up and sits in the front foot track and any number of different things. There's a whole lot to this and I don't want to get too deep into the the, uh, muck with tracking, pun intended. But just suffice it to be said, you need to start getting a good sense of direction of travel and how these animals move. If you don't have somebody you can train with, it doesn't mean that you can't train. One of the best books I've ever seen in my life is a book by Mark Elbrock, and that's E-L-B-R-O-C-H. And we'll make sure that we get this book listed in the description so you can pick up a copy. Mammal Tracks and Sign by Mark Elbrock. Again, it's my favorite. It is probably one of, well, it just straight is. In my opinion, it's one of the most detailed books on the topic of uh, mammal sign and it's just incredibly rich with detail incredibly rich with showing how tracks look their measurements how they look how animals look when they're walking how they look when they're trotting how they look when they're running there's so much in that book it's fantastic another way that we can pick up direction of travel is what we call transfer or some i've heard some teachers call it transference and that's where you go from one environment to another and because you go from that one environment to another you're carrying stuff from the first environment into the second one let's go back to our analogy earlier about wilderness and meadows or open field if there's kentucky 31 fescue which is a type of grass in the field and you get a piece of it on your shoe and then you walk into the track line i mean you walk into the forest edge into that line of trees then you might carry a piece of grass into the woods, and that grass doesn't typically grow out there. Or it might be that you step on tall grass on the edge and you push it towards the forest. Or just the opposite, you're walking from the forest in the field and you carry a leaf 
that you've creased on the bottom of your boot out into the field, and that is transfer. That is where you've carried one piece of, let's consider it like evidence, out into a different environment and different type of habitat. And in that manner, you get what we call transfer, and that gives you a sense of direction as well. The next thing I wanted to discuss for this, again, this is an overview hoping to encourage you to get out and start tracking, is the idea of aging tracks. Personally, I think this is the thing that really gets people off from the idea of tracking because you see quite literally lies being told uh, online, if you will, in movies and TV and people that just cannot determine a time or an age of a track and they just say this and you look at it and go, I just absolutely have no idea how to do that. There's no way I can do that. So you give up on the idea of tracking. I don't look at it that way at all. Uh, There's definitely some things that we can do to pinpoint a time. Quite frankly, it takes a lot of effort to be able to do it accurately. But let's make sure we understand this. To understand what I think we need to do to be able to track for most purposes, again, for most of the times that we're going to be tracking, I think it takes very little to age tracks. And what I mean by that is I like to break this down into three different categories. The first is a relatively new track, and that's a track that's less than 24 hours old. Now, the big thing there is knowing current and recent past events as they relate to the weather. Let's take, for example, you've got a track. You're looking at this track and you notice that there are no raindrops in the track. And you also note that in your mind that the rain had stopped around 2 p.m. today as you're tracking. So if there's no raindrops in it, you can at least say that that track happened after the rainfall. You see how we're using that weather event to give us a time frame? Pay attention to the weather every day. I don't know a a tracker worth his salt or her salt that doesn't spend a fair amount of time looking at the weather. If you were called upon to go track, let's say you're a search and rescue tracker. And again, let's be real clear about tracking. Tracking is a tool, right? And there's a lot of tools, let's say, for example, for search and rescue. And tracking, quite frankly, from what I understand about, and Tracy's been real clear about this with me, is it is just not a really commonly used aspect of search and rescue operations. There's so many other things that you would do. So many other things you would do in law enforcement. So many other things you would do in military for human tracking. As far as animal tracking is concerned, though, it's one of those things that is an imperative tool to be able to, again, hunt or trap or something of that nature. Using these weather events is something that if I'm going on a search and rescue, I don't do that, but let's just say that I am. Let's just say I'm a search and rescue volunteer. Then as I'm going in, if I've been called upon to be a tracker, for example, I will want to know what the weather has been for the last several days. I will want to know what's been happening. Has it been raining? Has it been really hot? Has it snowed? Has the snow melted off? And on and on and on to start giving a time frame for the way tracks are going to appear on the ground. Let's make sure that we understand this is a very general understanding of aging a track. And I'm okay with a very general understanding of it, quite frankly. So number two is relatively old. Okay, relatively old means something that's over 24 hours old. What you'll start to notice, and this, the reason I say this is general, because this really gets into the minutia of tracking. Clay, for example, might hold a track for weeks and look like it was made yesterday. 
whereas sand, dry sand, will basically go away as soon as you step on it. <laughs> I mean, it's just not there for very long at all. Therefore, you've really got to start to understand soils, leaf litter, sand, how that is affected by moisture, how it's affected by rain or snow and all the things that go along with it, to start to understand how aging is within that older than 24-hour range. Because some strata, some soil will break down rather quickly and therefore, if you see something walk on it and you see the edges of the track start to degrade, then you can make a very snap judgment on relatively new, relatively old. The third way that we like to categorize aging is what we call, we just don't know. Okay. And I have a funny way of saying this in class to help people remember, but for our purposes here, I just, we just don't know. Okay. And the reason we say this is because we can really get stuck with paralysis by analysis. That is very problematic when you're dealing with tracking because we can really get stuck in the details. And if our goal, and this is important to understand, if our goal is to find what it is that we're tracking, then the paralysis by analysis is just creating what we call the time-distance gap. It's just continuing to increase between us and the thing we're trying to track. Therefore, it's best to go, you know, I just don't know, and then move on it as best we can. Now, this is animal tracking, right? There's not too many animals, particularly here in North America, they are going to hunt humans, maybe mountain lions. But for the most part, those things are not going to hunt us. Therefore, uh, the security that is needed as far as, hey, I don't give a crap how old this track is, may be uh, not a big deal. In human tracking particularly in combat or LEO, law enforcement officer tr tracking or something of that nature, then it might be a little bit more important. So you might push somebody on the track line and leave somebody back to start to analyze it a little bit more clearly, but that's we're, I'm getting into the weeds already. So let's get back on track. And here's a big encouragement for you, I hope. Well, I certainly hope it is. I'd love to say this when I have the wonderful opportunity to train people on tracking. Simon Kenton, Daniel Boone, George Rogers Clark, Native, their Native American counterparts, and, you know, their Native American enemies for that matter. None of those people, the ones that were fantastic, and I'm talking these people were fantastic at tracking. They never picked up a tracking book. They never took a class, and they never listened to this podcast, and they were good trackers. What's there to make them good trackers? Time afield, obviously. They spend a lot of time out. They spend a lot of time engaged in the practice of tracking. Obviously, I'm sure they had mentors as well. They had people looking over their shoulder, going shoulder looking, all right, this is a bear, this is a baby bear, this is a this is a elk versus a deer, and this is a raccoon, and this is what it tells you, and on and on and on, all the different things. Plus, they spent so much time afield, a lot of these animals they simply saw and then would walk up and look at the tracks and go, okay, that's what an elk track looks like, for example, right? Therefore, I'm giving you, listen closely, dear listener, I'm giving you permission to spend more time outside. Take advantage of it. 
if you want to go out and track and somebody doesn't want you to go outside and track, whether that's your boss because they want you to work or something like that, then tell them you got permission from Craig Cottle, director of Nature Reliance School, podcaster extraordinaire, to go out and track. I give you permission right now. You can do it. You can do it. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And again, as I stated at the beginning, we need your help. Make sure you share this with others that might find this information useful. You can use this podcast. You can use another one. doesn't matter to me, quite frankly. Just share the podcast. I'll tell you some good ones that are out there. There's one that Tracy Trimble interviewed John May, who is the the uh, chief of the Wolf County Search and Rescue when he fell 150 feet, I think it was, from a cliff edge. That's fantastic. John's inter- the guy that fell, the one that fell and did not die, obviously, is very thankfully is the one that Tracy interviewed. It's fantastic. One that you need to go back and listen to, and I think Tracy the other day told me it's podcast two, is the podcast on practicing versus testing versus training and why understanding what those are is important. Uh, I'll make sure that we get that linked in the description below as well so you can go back and listen to that one because that's probably one of the most insightful podcasts that we've ever done, in my opinion. And so lots of good podcasts there. So check them out, share them with others. We greatly appreciate you. As always at Nature Reliance School, come on, join in. Let's learn together. That wraps up another fantastic episode of the Nature Reliance Podcast. I hope today's journey has inspired you to explore and connect with the natural world in new and exciting ways. Before I say goodbye, remember to check out the Nature Reliance School online membership. If today's episode sparked your interest in wilderness skills and outdoor adventures, this online community is the perfect place for you to start or continue your journey. You can currently sign up for a year for only $99 and get two months for free. Click the link below to discover a world of expert-led courses, engaging content, and a vibrant community eager to share their knowledge and experiences. Whether you're starting your outdoor journey or looking to deepen your existing skills, the Nature Reliance School online membership is here to guide you. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe for more adventures and share this podcast with your fellow nature enthusiasts. Until next time, come on, join in. Let's learn together.